Welcome to Living Word Ministries with director and Bible teacher, Debbie Blank. Each week, Debbie examines current events through the lens of end times Bible prophecies. Please visit our website for information and past programs at livingwordministry.org. Now let's open our Bibles to focus on truths from God's Word with Debbie Blank. We've seen lots of changes in our world over the last century. One of those changes came with the ratification of the 19th Amendment to the Constitution in 1920, which gave women the right to vote. Since then, we've seen women rise in ranks to do just about anything they set their minds to do. Yet this past June, the Southern Baptist Convention met and voted on an amendment that says, quote, they do not affirm, appoint, or employ a woman as a pastor of any kind, end quote. That has not yet been formally approved. It won't be until their next year's convention just by following Robert's Rules of Orders. But it was agreed to by 80% of the delegates who were there. Are there other denominations that don't allow for women pastors? In our pluralistic society, what's their justification for withholding that opportunity for women? Are they right or are they wrong? I'm Debbie Blank, looking forward today to examining Scripture to talk about this very contentious subject, but one that needs to be discussed. And I'm co-host Jackie Sailors. And right away, I need to explain that I come from a different faith background than Debbie when it comes to the subject of women pastors. You may shake your head at the mere idea of a woman pastor. Many churches still hold the tradition of males only. But at some point, women were welcomed as pastors in many denominations, and those that resisted were accused of cultural resistance and discrimination against women. In my own church, a wonderful godly woman served our church for about seven years. So you may ask, what's wrong with a woman pastor? I asked that question too. But as I studied the Bible in later years, I saw scriptures that provided a compelling argument on the other side. Today, we're going to look into what the Bible has to say and why the Southern Baptist Convention, as well as other denominations, still forbid women to pastor a church. So many denominations changed their practices over the last anywhere from 20 to 50 or 60 years because of modern culture, allowing women to hold roles in business and in government and other places that they'd never been allowed to have, really, until we had the right to vote in 1920. The Episcopals, Assembly of God, United Methodists, ELCA, Presbyterian USA, United Church of Christ, those are a few who allow women pastors in their pulpits. And yet there's other Christian churches that have continued to adhere to their original beliefs with male-only pastors. And that includes the Southern Baptist Convention, Catholics, the Lutheran Missouri Synod, and Orthodox, to name a few. Now, at the Southern Baptist Convention, all they did really was affirm what they have always believed and what they've upheld in their Baptist faith and message, which is basically their constitution of what they believe. So they didn't change anything really except for to affirm it because there have been problems within the church. Why is this significant? Because the Southern Baptists are the world's largest Baptist denomination. They're the largest Protestant denomination in America the second largest Christian denomination behind the Catholics. So your two largest Christian denominations in the United States only adhere to male pastors. Going back to what the Baptist faith and message 
has always said in Article 6, it reads, while both men and women are gifted for service in the church, the office of pastor is limited to men as qualified by Scripture. Their problem arose because a recent study showed that of the Southern Baptist churches, 1,844 women are serving in pastoral roles of their 40,198 churches in this country. What they found is that some of their churches are not following their biblical mandates, according to the Baptist faith and message and scripture. What have they done about that? Well, they had to do something, so they disfellowshipped several of these churches. Little by little, they're doing that if the churches do not adhere to this. Because if there are no consequences, then why have an explanation of what you believe? If we would go back to church discipline, we would have a lot less problems if we would hold people accountable for the decisions they make that will go against the Word of God. I've always respected churches that have maintained what they have always professed. So if a church like Catholic Church wants to only have priests that are male, then I think that's fine. Southern Baptist Church, to stand by what they believe, I think that's wonderful. They should do that. What I have seen, though, is this resistance creep up in a lot of denominations on this subject and in other areas as well, where it seems to be a principled thing to resist what you're supposed to believe in. I never understood why they would decide to just disobey and resist, particularly in a church setting, rather than just go their own way. If they believe in something else, then they should go to a denomination that stands for that instead of resisting and trying to undermine and change the organization that they're in at the time. It's important that the Southern Baptist Convention does have an enforcement policy so that they can enforce what they say. Let's look at why some of the pastors have chosen to change their mandate in order to support women pastors. And the first approach tends to be cultural changes. And that is because what we talked about, our culture has changed now and women can hold roles in any business or any situation that they were not allowed to hold before. So they think that the culture of scripture at the time it was written was different than the culture today. So we are to go by culture in making our decisions. Another reason is a more liberal approach to scripture. Some people deny Paul's authorship of passages such as 1 Corinthians 14 or 1 Timothy chapter 2, passages we'll read today, saying that they were authored by anonymous writers at a later period than Paul. And therefore, since they're not Paul's writing, they're not really biblical scriptures that we have to adhere to. However, when we start ignoring different scriptures because they don't match up with what we think we want to do, that's a problem. Where do we stop? Where do we say that this scripture is right and this scripture is wrong? We also have people who claim scripture shows women doing virtually everything men do in the New Testament. And they really do, except for pastors, but that's questionable to them. But note the word virtually. Then you also have the fact that we are all one in Christ, scripture tells us. Galatians 3.28 says, There is neither Jew nor Greek, There's neither slave nor free man. There's neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ. So because we're all in one in Christ, there's no distinction in man and woman. Well, that's true in God's eyes spiritually. We are one in Christ. 
but we still have different roles in life. I'm equal with my husband in God's eyes. Genesis 3 tells us, as women, as wives, your desire will be for a husband, but he shall rule over you. And that really means your desire is to be in charge, to rule over your husband, but I'm putting him in authority over you. Because if we don't have authority in the home, in government, in churches, in schools, everywhere, then there will be chaos. So while we're equal with one another in Christ's eyes, we have different roles to partake. And that's important to know. Then they talked about, as I mentioned earlier, the idea in scripture that there are several women who have major roles. Priscilla, for example, was a teacher. Aquila and Priscilla were known throughout the book of Acts as teaching people like Apollos and for having a church in their home. Oftentimes, Priscilla is mentioned first, which means she was the main teacher. If she was the main teacher to Apollos, then she was probably a main teacher in their home, which means she probably ran the church. Then you have in Romans 16, 1 and 2, talking about Phoebe, she was a deaconess. Paul said, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who's a servant or a diaconess, a deacon of the church, which is in Centria, that you receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints and that you help her in whatever matter she may have need of you. For she herself also has been a helper of many and of myself as well. So people say because she's listed there as a diaconess, which is a deacon in other passages, that she had a leadership role in the church. I read that and see that she was a helper in the church, as all women are called to be. We're all to be servants of the Lord. So I don't see that as a pastoral role. And then a couple of other examples. You have Yodi and Syntyche, who are listed in Philippians 4, 2 and 3. Well, Paul says, these women have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel. Again, you and I and everyone who's a believer shares in the struggle of the cause of the gospel. That doesn't mean they were pastors. Here's a unique one. Junius, who's listed in Romans 16, 7. It says in the passage to greet Junius, my kinsman and my fellow prisoner who are outstanding among the apostles who also were in Christ before me. And so a lot of people think that Junius was a woman. But if she was a woman, was she a fellow prisoner with Paul? Nah, she wouldn't have been in the same place with him. But the fact is the name Junius in Greek is masculine, not feminine. So there's a lot of people, there's prophetesses in the Bible, Miriam in the Old Testament, Exodus 15, 20, Hulda, Anna in the New Testament. You have Philip's four daughters who were prophetesses. Well, that doesn't mean they were leaders of the church. It means they exercised their spiritual gifts that God gave them. So why people who support female pastors use these as an example. They are simply women who in the church serve the Lord with all of their heart and the spiritual giftedness God gave them. As I was reading an article that was talking about you know, the other side of the issue, women in ministry, does the Bible allow women to be pastors? from a group called Grace Communication International. It's a really good article, and it uses some of the same examples, especially Deborah and Hulda, and how the men were sent to inquire of God's will for them to these women. And so that's an authority of God's word being given to them over men. So they use that as an example. On the other hand, they were not pastors in a church, and that's a different thing. And the other hand, they were Old Testament. And what that showed is that the time of Huldah and the time of Deborah, there were 
men who were not standing up for God and doing what God called them to do. So God put women in their roles. That's a sad scenario. If you read Judges chapter 5, that's Deborah's song after the defeat that Deborah's army had in a battle over Sisera. In that passage, she kind of portrays the fact that the men in Israel were not doing what they were supposed to do. So God will raise up whoever he needs to raise up at his timing if other people are not taking over their responsibilities. So those are arguments for women pastors, though we have put in our two cents worth that question some of those arguments. But let's look about arguments against women pastors. And really the primary ones come from 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Titus chapter 1, which talk about overseers, deacons, elders. If you read the requirements for these leaders, they're all men. It talks about the husband of one wife. It talks about he, husbands, talks about leadership roles. In 1 Timothy 3.15, it says, I write so that you may know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, not herself or themselves, but himself. Now, some people will say, well, yeah, because that was the culture then. Women were not in leadership roles, especially in the new church. So therefore, it's going to talk about men, but that was cultural. We have a different culture now, so we should allow women to be in leadership roles. Well, if you take the Bible literally, and that's a major argument against women pastors, is taking the Bible literally and taking those passages literally, that God established the leaders of the churches to be men, whether it was cultural or not. We don't change our view of Scripture based on our culture. God makes it clear that homosexuality is a sin because our culture now allows it and celebrates it doesn't make it right. God makes it clear that killing another person unprovoked is a sin. Just because our culture is allowing for abortion doesn't make it right. We cannot allow culture to determine our understanding of the word of God. We have to seek God's original language and what it means and what he was saying at that time, and then live by those standards. When we talk about passages in scripture, one of the passages that's brought up by both sides is 1 Timothy 2, verses 8 through 14. Some of that is considered by the people who are pro-female pastors to be cultural and circumstantial, situational, something necessary at the time that Paul was advising Timothy in his overseeing of the church at Ephesus. So how do you explain that? Okay, well, first of all, I want to start out by saying in chapter 1 of 1 Timothy, we learn that the church of Ephesus was in a mess. What it says here is in verse 3, I urge you, Timothy, upon my departure from Macedonia, remain on at Ephesus so that you may instruct certain men not to teach strange doctrines, nor to pay attention to myths and endless genealogies which give rise to mere speculation rather than furthering the administration of God, which is by faith. So there were real problems in the church of Ephesus. This letter to Timothy was written a few years after the letter to the Ephesians and several years after Paul had spent three years in Ephesus. Paul developed the elders in the church of Ephesus at the time he was there in the book of Acts chapter 20. 
in order to lead the church. But apparently they had turned away from that or fallen away or didn't remember it or something because he had to reiterate it in the books of 1 Timothy and Titus. So let's read that passage now in 1 Timothy 2, 8 through 14 that you mentioned. Paul says, Likewise, I want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing, modestly and discreetly, not with braided hair and gold of pearls or costly garments. Does that mean we can't braid our hair or wear gold or pearls or wear nice clothes to church? No. The problem with Ephesus was that women who worshipped Diana, the main god in that city, were doing these things. They were dressing provocatively, and they were prostitutes to the temple oftentimes. Paul felt that the women who were believers in Jesus Christ needed to set themselves apart from the prostitutes and the people who worship Diana. So he's giving them limitations on how they could dress so they won't be misunderstood. It'd be like our pastor standing up today and saying, I don't want you to wear halter tops or go braless or I had open midriffs in church because that would be inappropriate for a time of worship. I will also say too, when he says to dress modestly and discreetly, the idea there, according to the Greek word saphrosuni, means a voluntary limitation of one's freedom. So it's something we choose to do so that we can set ourselves apart from non-believers. He goes on to say, but rather by means of good works as is proper for women making a claim to godliness. Again, instead of dressing provocatively, do good works for Jesus Christ. Going on to verse 11, it says, a woman must quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness. What does quietly mean? Quietly, according to the Greek, means a stillness versus a bustling. That means that there was a lot of activity going on in the church. And women were busybodies, you might want to say. He's encouraging them that they need to be still so that they're not being disruptive. And then it says receive instruction with entire submissiveness. First of all, they're to receive instruction. That means the women at that time were to be taught the word of God. They were to know the word of God, which was very unique because in the Jewish culture, they didn't teach women the word of God. It was only men that were allowed to know it. So here we see that women were encouraged to understand the truth and they're to receive it with entire submissiveness. Well, when I think of submissiveness, I think of wives be submissive to your husbands. That's an authority. But it also means in the Greek, hupotasa, which means to be under the authority of, to be in the right place under your husband. That's hupotasa. This is a different word. It's hupotage, which means to place in proper order. So the women to receive instruction as they're placed in the proper order. That means women needed to be respectful and not busybodies under the proper authorities. It goes on in verse 12 to read, But I do not allow woman to teach or exercise authority over man, but to remain quiet. That's the key verse that people use to say you cannot have a female pastor. You have to understand when Paul says that, I do not allow women to teach or exercise authority over man. That is the present tense, present indicative tense in the Greek. That means that women are not allowed to continually teach or continually exercise authority over a man. If you teach a man, you don't necessarily have authority over him. If you are a pastor, you would. But again, it says continually. 
a pastor has continued authority over everyone in their congregation. A teacher wouldn't. A woman does not have authority over anyone who might sit under their teaching. So that passage needs to be understood in its context. And when it says, with the woman's to remain quiet, again, it's the same Greek word, hesusia, which means stillness instead of the bustling and causing strife. It goes on to say, for it was Adam who was first created, not Eve. And it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman who was deceived fell into transgression. That right there puts a leadership role. As Adam and Eve were husband and wife and Adam was over authority over here, Paul is suggesting here that there has to be an authority structure and the authority is going to be the man in the church. The context of 1 Timothy is in the church. Which parallels the way God set up the authority in the family. I know that people look at that particular section that you just read about Adam and Eve and there are some objections to that. But if you're just accepting God having the right to place people in the order that he wants to place them in as far as conducting the business of the church, the business of the family, he has the right to do that. So I accept that because he has the right to do that. And perhaps with Adam being the firstborn, quote unquote, there's that privilege of the firstborn that goes all the way through scripture. The other part of it they just believe is this was necessary for that particular church, which was being disorderly at that time, and the women were needing to be pulled under control for that particular place and time. It should not be something that a blanket admonition for the church in all circumstances and in all times. Well, and you go back again to verse 14 that says, I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. The word for or is O-U-D-E. And what that suggests is that the kind of female teaching is prohibited if it exercises dominion or leadership over the man. If a woman's teaching it, it doesn't exercise dominion over a leadership, there's no problem with that. And you were talking about the churches and the confusion in 1 Corinthians 14. We have another passages where Paul says the women are to keep silent. The Greek word there is segeo, which means hold peace. They're to keep silent or hold peace in the church. They're not permitted to speak or utter words, laleo, or even preach is what some people understand that to mean. Again, you had a disruptive church. The context there is they were speaking in tongues and causing great disruption. And Paul had to silence them so there would be order in the church. Because verse 33 says, God is not a God of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. So the problem was confusion and women had to stop being confusing and doing the right thing. So we have passages in scripture that are very clear in what they say. When you study the Greek, if women can't be pastors, can women teach men? According to the passages I just read in the explanation in the Greek, yes, they can, as long as they're not exercising authority or usurping authority or leadership over men. In other words, not as pastors, but simply as teachers. Women throughout scripture, as I read earlier, are called to use their gifts and were to use it in serving the body of Christ. We must exercise our spiritual gifts under the property authority. And that authority, in my case, my authority is my husband. And then for my teaching, my authority is my board of directors since we're a nonprofit. And then in my church, my authority is my pastor. And ultimately, my authority is God. I must be under authority when I teach. If men choose to come into my classes, 
That's up to them if they want to learn the teaching. But I have no authority over them. I can't tell them what to do. I can't lead them or direct them because I'm not in a leadership role. I'm simply a teacher. I first started teaching children and then women. And when I started teaching some adult classes, men started coming into the classes. And they still do to this day. And they're welcome in the classes because, again, I'm teaching the Word of God. I'm not exercising authority over them. I'm not a pastor, nor will I ever be. Good people on both sides of this discussion have differences of opinions. So it's important for each of us to seek God and His truth from the Word, not from what we want. It neuters men when we take charge in places that God intended for men. We talked a little bit about women when they usurp the authority of a man, when they take over an authority that does not belong to them. And so if we go according to Scripture, and we're talking about the men having authority, God created men with the characteristics that he intended to put into them and created women the same way with the characteristics that he intended to put into them. When women usurp authority over men, men often become submissive, and that's never God's intention through Scripture. And I will have to say that it's been my experience that I have unfortunately seen that happen. How so? Men just kind of stepping back and letting the women take charge. It's really important as examples for leadership in the church and for young men to see men in leadership. I think what I've seen is men just step back and not fill those roles that they used to fill. And if men are not fulfilling those roles in the church, then how do men in the church learn about how to be successful leaders spiritually in their home if they don't have the role models of male pastors in their church. God called the fathers and the husbands to be the spiritual leaders, to train up the children in the way that they should go. How will they be able to do that if they don't have the leadership roles? Because if a woman can be a senior pastor and is, and by the way, they do great jobs. They're wonderful people. I have no problem with their heart or their love for the Lord, or I mean, on a general scale, and their qualifications. They're not to say that they can't do the job. It's just that God has laid out different principles because he knows that we need a demonstrative leader that can set the tone for the whole family as well as the church. And that comes from men. And God's intention was never for the mother to be the spiritual leader of the home. It happens. It happens a lot. But that's not God's plan for the marriage and for the family. I'd like to correct what I said earlier as far as men in general stepping back and not taking positions. Certainly there are wonderful men who step forward and are taking the load that they really need to take. But kind of in general, you just see a trend going the opposite way. And we're seeing in our society a trend where men are being emasculated in many ways because women have taken leadership roles and the men have stepped back. We need a society of male leaders. If we step outside of the roles that he gave us, the church will become ineffective and we'll start doing what we're seeing a lot of today, which is misinterpreting scripture so that scripture matches up with what we want it to say so that we can do what we want to do. It is so important to understand what God laid out in Scripture, why he said it, and what he means by it, and then to follow it. And when we start deviating because we want a different answer or we want a different direction or we want to follow our culture, then we're negating God's word completely. 
To function properly in any institution, we have to have a position of leadership. God established the man in leadership over the woman in the homes. We women have to be careful because our tendency is to rule over our husbands, according to Genesis 3. But God had different plans. We are each accountable to God to study his word, to follow it, and to obey it, following the truths of Scripture, not just what we want it to say. Thank you for joining us today on Living Word Ministries with Debbie Blank. This is a listener-supported show. If you'd like to support this program or contact Debbie Blank, you may do so at P.O. Box 540-003, Omaha, Nebraska, 68154, or visit our website at livingwordministry.org. Please tune in each week at this same time for Living Word Ministries with Debbie Blank.